It's Sunday night and we are here at the end of 2018. I never thought we'd get to this point. My father used to preach and say he believed God was going, the Lord was going to come before the end of 1953. I think he missed that considerably. Uh, he used to actually say that, and I was scared to death. I was 14 years old in 1953. I thought, and I'd look up at the sky in the middle of the day. I'd be out playing at 14. I looked like I was eight or nine because I was a little bitty squirt, smaller than most of the kids in school. And I'd be looking up at the sky out playing, and I would think if I saw a white cloud that Jesus was coming in that cloud. And I didn't know that I was saved because my father would preach these death threat messages, you know, uh, if you don't get saved and accept Christ, you're going to go to hell. Well, we don't believe that here. We believe you have to repent and only God can cause you to do that. But this thing of the second coming has been on my mind a long, long time. At 79, I can tell you, I have been thinking about the second coming of the Lord since I was seven or eight years old back in the 40s. And it has bothered me, and I have taken my time to study the Scripture. And what Paul said, he said, we are to uh, comfort one another with these words. <clears throat> there is, uh, let's look at that verse over there in First Thessalonians. We're to be comforted about the second coming of the Lord. In First Thessalonians, I didn't mean to go to this point, but I'm going to talk to you more about the 70 weeks of Daniel tonight. Whenever I teach on it, I need to slow down and go slower than I have been. There's so much information in my mind that's going through my mind when I'm teaching on it. The 70 weeks of Daniel, let me just put this on the board. At the end, at the end of the 70 weeks of Daniel will be alright I will will be let me reset at the end of the 70 weeks of Daniel will be the end of time. Don't you think it's important that we discuss that we study the 70 weeks of Daniel if that's true and that's what I believe. I believe when the 70 weeks and you're going to find the 70 weeks on Daniel 9 24 through 27. Those verses right there, 24, 25, 26, 27, that is some of the most important verses in the Bible concerning the end of time. All of, all of the Bible is one picture. The 70 weeks of Daniel is the judgment of God, judgment of God upon his people, Israel, Israel, concerning, this is what it's about, concerning 
their rebellion against God. Against God. Against God for. Against God. This would be a summary of it. Against God. They're rebelling against God for somewhere in the neighborhood of 350 to 400 years under judges and for approximately and approximately 510 years under kings. This is what the 70 weeks of Daniel are about. Under kings, and they were a nation. This is about the time period when they were a nation. And they were a nation under judges and kings. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. So when you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers... Deuteronomy, this is what was called the law. Genesis the, is the time period from Adam through Joseph. Joseph is the last main character in Genesis. The book of Genesis comprises approximately 2,000 years. We don't know exactly, but somewhere in that neighborhood. Exodus up to Matthew is only about 1,600 years. That's all the rest of the Bible. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, so forth. All the way to Matthew is about 1,600 years. There's more time in Genesis than all the rest of the Old Testament put together. God comes to Abraham in Genesis. We've gone through all that. Abraham is the patriarch that God gives the promise. He gives the land of Israel. And the land of Israel is there in the, in the, right on the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. I doubt seriously if people in other churches have any idea where Israel is. Do you think they do? They don't have any maps up there. The preacher never tells them. Well, Israel is this little bitty tiny nation right here. Well, let's look at it on a big map. Uh, where it goes all the way. Here's the tip of Africa here. This is Spain right here. And this is the Strait of Gibraltar. There is a big rock there, the Rock of Gibraltar. And this is a strait. It comes from the Atlantic Ocean into the Mediterranean Sea. This was the Bible world right there. Everything that happened in the Bible happened right around the Mediterranean Sea. Now, Israel is on the eastern end of the Mediterranean right here. So part of their, part of their boundary line is on the Mediterranean. It comes down here. This will be right here. Israel is smaller than the square the square miles of New Jersey. It's smaller than New Jersey, 
And the entire world is looking at this right now. And God promised that land to Abraham. Now Abraham was a descendant of Shem. The mountains of Ararat were here on the eastern uh, border of what we call Turkey. You had Asia Minor in there. You had Galatia in here. You had Cappadocia in here. You had many of those biblical lands was inside what we call Turkey. And you had Israel down here. And you had all of the, all of the journeys of Paul was here in this area. His last journey, he was carried to Rome to die. So what we're talking about is Israel, God promising them the land through Abraham in Genesis, the 17th chapter. He promises Abraham that he'll have a son in the 15th chapter of Genesis. So when he's promising these things, God says, the land is yours and to your children after you, Abraham then Isaac will receive that promise. Isaac gets the promise the same chapter that Abraham gets it in Genesis, the 17th chapter. Then it's passed down to Isaac's son, Jacob, and that's in the 28th chapter. That's in the 28th chapter of Genesis, when Jacob, after he's deceived his brother, and Jacob was a trickster, and he's headed out, He's headed out, and he's leaving, leaving Israel and going to run. He's running from his brother Esau because he lied and cheated him out of his birthright. And he takes off and goes over here to the land of Haran, which is Babylon, or what we would call that, that borderline there is actually Iraq. And the Euphrates runs down through there. That's part of the history of Israel. Now, the 70 weeks of Daniel is about this promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 17. He said, I will be your God. You'll be my people. You'll get the land. And all the time you're in the land, you obey me and I'll give you a promise. He gives him the promise in Deuteronomy 28. He says, what I want you to do is to obey me. And when you do that, your obedience. He said, I'll fill up your storehouses. That was their main. I'll fill up the land with crops. You'll have healthy children. They'll be born. You can go against your enemy, and it doesn't matter how many there are. And you'll see this over and over again where Israel will go against their enemies, and they're totally outnumbered. And they'll whip their enemies, they'll beat their enemies. And that happens with many, many characters. It happened with Jehoshaphat. It happened with, uh, even with King Ahab was an evil king when Ben-Hadad, the, the Syrian king, not Assyria, keep Assyria and Syria separate. Assyria is, was an empire. A-S-S-Y-R-I-A. Oops. I bumped that off. Assyria... was an empire that was overthrown by Babylon. Assyria was the section up here between the Caucasus Mountains, where the Caucasians get their name from that, 
and they are descendants of Japheth who settled up here in this area. The the uh, Caucasus, the the mountains of Ararat. Mountains of Ararat. This is this chain of mountains. Was a string of mountains on the eastern section of what we call Turkey over here. When when Noah came out of the ark, Japheth, his eldest son, came up here into the Caucasus Mountains, and this is where he settled. And upon the Tigris River, that is where the capital city of the Assyrian Empire was, or the Caucasian Empire, let's put it like that. The capital city was the was Nineveh. That's why Nahum said, I am the burden of Nineveh, and Jonah was told to go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because there was no one that was more wicked and evil than these Caucasians. They were a wicked bunch of people slaughtering and butchering everything in sight. The Syrians are right here above Israel in this area right here. That is Syria. And Syria is solution. These are solution people. That is an empire and Seleucus. Seleucus was one of the generals that inherited Alexander the Great's empire, Alex Great, when he when he died around 320 uh, B.C. And there were three other generals. There were Cassander, and there was Lysacomus, and then you also had Ptolemy's, P-T-O-L-E-M-Y. The Ptolemy's, you need to learn this, because the Ptolemy's were the people of Alexander the Great, there his, these were his four generals. When he died, they asked, who's going to take over your empire? He said, whoever's the strongest. That was Seleucus. And from the time Seleucus was the first man's name, and they developed calling all of their kings Seleucian kings. Antiochus... You had several Antiochus. You get the word Antioch from that. Antiochus the Great, Antiochus the God, Antiochus Epiphanes, these are all different men. Antiochus, any time you see that, those were Seleucian kings. So they would call them Seleucus. Just like after Julius Caesar, Caesar was Julius Caesar's name. So they adopted the, his name, his title, so that they could call all the people that took his place. Augustus was Augustus Caesar. Tiberius was Tiberius Caesar. Nero was Nero Caesar. All these people were called Caesars, just like these guys were called Solutions. And there became so many Antiochus that they would just call them by the name of Antiochus, but they were solutions. I've said this before. They would marry their daughters to their enemies, uh, 
as a means of trying to have peace in their own nation so these people wouldn't attack them. The, one of the last great Ptolemies that was here in Egypt was Cleopatra. She had been given to Egypt by the Solutions so that they could have peace in, in the Solutions did that and they gave uh, this, they gave the solutions from Egypt. They gave in in turn. They gave them a woman named Berenice. Berenice, and, but she was killed in a coup, and it didn't seem to help a lot of times. Just the fact that they were giving these women back and forth. Now. All of the land of Israel was about the 70 weeks, and it was about the fact that in the 17th chapter of Genesis, God gave the land to Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. He said there's a condition. All the time you're in the land, you have to obey me. The, I believe one of the biggest problems that Israel had with God's law was the, was the, sabbatical years they hated that boy we don't like that God said I'll supply you with plenty of food you'll have more than you can eat I'll just have your storehouses flowing over but he said what you have to do we have a system with our farmers we call it crop rotation that is an absolute necessity I don't know how it all works. You can read up on it. You have to be a farmer to understand it. If you're a farmer out in the Midwest in Kansas or out in Nebraska, I mean, there ain't nothing but farms out there. We're, we're on TV all over Kansas, but it's only how many cities out there, Dave? Everyone but Kansas City, Kansas. Every, every town, but, but how many cities is that? That's not many. Millions. It's about... It's farmland everywhere, and uh, and if out if you're out there in the Midwest, you have to you have to obey the laws of nature, or they're God's laws, because you can't just grow uh, crops every year and not tend to the the uh, rotation of crops. I don't know exactly how it works, but if you own a lot of land, you're a, if you're a big farmer out there and you own a thousand acres, you cannot grow the same thing in every acre every year because if you do, you'll eventually burn up the land. When they had these, uh, you, they have specials every once in a while on TV, and if you, if they have. Uh, they'll have problem with farmers. They used to have problem in the 20s when they had the dust bowl out in Oklahoma and the dust bowl reached up into Kansas and down into Texas and it reached all the way to Washington, D.C. where they'd see these gigantic storms that would come. It's because the farmers that had been farming didn't know how to treat the land. They did not know how to grow the crops in it. If we didn't have professional farmers out west, it would destroy the land. And they say that they had to, to treat the land a certain way and grow, them, grow everything at certain levels. You have to 
there's a system for growing and they had to leave certain areas unplanted and they would know how much and they had to have a farm agent when they're having when they were having uh, when they're having soil erosion and problems with the land that have farm agents come out and treat the land you have to know that it's similar to I sold real estate for years and it's having environmentalists come and check ground for uh, for our septic system they have to use take soil samples and check it and see if it will saturate the land and and will go into the ground well you can't just own land and plant it the way you want to because that is a scientific it's God's ecological system it's the way he created it so he tells Israel instead of they didn't have this crop rotation back then he said, what I want you to do, you give me every seven years. Every seven years, leave the land alone. Don't touch it. That was just it. You don't plant, you don't reap, and you'll find that in Leviticus, the 25th chapter. Let's look over there at that. This is, this is everything that the 70 weeks of Daniel is about. The, God says, every seven years, you don't do anything. But you know, God is not going to tell them why. He's not going to explain to them about his ecological way that he's created the land to grow over six days and the seventh at rest. They call that a Sabbath year, a sabbatical year. And that's everything that the 70 weeks is about. I believe that's what they, why they went after other gods. They said, these other gods don't require anything from us. We'll just worship them and they'll give us our wheat and our corn. In fact, in Hosea, Hosea, that second chapter, they said, the Bible calls these other gods, which are not gods, they have no breath in them, calls these other gods the lovers of Israel. So whenever you find harlotry, like for instance, Revelation 17 and 5 that I'm always quoting, that Babylon was the mother of harlots, it doesn't mean she was the mother of all women that took in and sold their bodies for money. It don't mean that. It means she was the mother of idolatry. The word harlot, pornea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A, pornea or porn, doesn't mean looking at naked women and men. It means idolatry, idololatria. L-A-T-R-E-I. Means to serve, latruo, what you see, what you put in your eyes and ears. Ido, to see. Means to serve what you see. Well, the lovers, and they said that their lovers gave them their wheat and their corn and their oil. And God says, they didn't give you that, I gave you that. 
And that's why you have to tie Deuteronomy 28 with that, because that's where God comes to Israel in the covenant and says, I will multiply your crops. They said, one thing we don't want to do, we're not going to give up a crop every seven years. And God says, if you don't, he doesn't tell them. But if they don't, they'll literally burn the ground up, suck all the nutrients out of the ground. They went for a period of 490 years never observing what they're supposed to do with their crops. If you stop and think about it, if you go 490 years, which is 70 times 7, 70 times 7, which is the 70 weeks, there were, there were 70 sets of these sabbatical years they did not obey God. Now, God says, you don't do that. I'm going to, I'll turn you against your enemies. I'll scatter you all over the earth. I'll put up with you so long. I will, I'll send the sword, the famine, the pestilence over and over. He says, I'll keep doing that sword, famine, pestilence over and over. Finally, if you go so long and you try my patience and it runs out, they kept going after these other gods and giving them credit. Look over there in, did I say was going somewhere? Yeah. Where? Leviticus. Leviticus. Leviticus, okay. I got so many things. I didn't get to First Thessalonians, did I? Okay, we'll go back <laughs> someday. <laughs> Look here, Leviticus. The, this is one of the most important chapters concerning prophecy in all the Bible because this is what they did not want to do and they didn't do it. Now, right here. If there's an important chapter, this is it right here. The 25th chapter of Leviticus. This is where he lays out the sabbatical years. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land, what is he talking about? Leviticus, he's laying down the laws of the Levites. Levi was the fourth son of Jacob. And the Levites were the priesthood. And he's instructing them how Israel is to act, what they're supposed to partake of, what they're not supposed to. When you come into the land, they're wandering around in Leviticus. They're over here. They're out here in the wilderness. They're not far in the wilderness. They just barely got to, they barely got down here to Mount Sinai. And they're receiving the instructions to Moses at Mount Sinai. And they're not even gotten up here to Kadesh Barnea where they refused to go into the land of Anak and conquer these people. They're not even getting barely started. And Moses tells them, or God tells Moses to tell them, when you come into the land, you're over here. You've been in Egypt for 400 years. You've left there. Moses is their leader, and he's going to lead them through the wilderness for 40 years. That's another story. We don't have time to go there. And he's going to lead them through the wilderness for 40 years to get rid of all the unbelief in Israel. These are just the beginning of commandments of God to Israel. He says, when you come into the land after 400 years in Egypt, 
when you come into the land, where was I? Speaking to the children, saying, when you come into the land, which I give you, I gave it to you in Genesis 17, I gave it through Jacob in 28 of Genesis, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. You'll find that when the prophets are talking about the Sabbath that the land keeps, says, I'll carry Israel away into captivity for 490 years until the land hath enjoyed her Sabbath. Remember, Sabbath means to rest. The land had to rest every seven years, just like Israel had to rest every seven days. Six years thou shalt sow thy field. Six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. Not just you rest every seven days. The land has to rest. Otherwise, I can't fulfill my promise to you. In Leviticus, the 26th chapter, 25th chapter, Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, Exodus, the 15th chapter, I can't fulfill my promise unless you leave the land alone. Maybe that's loud enough for that lady. <laughs> But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, and a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, you don't sow anything, you don't reap nothing. The whole year. That's going to be tough on Israel. Because they had a planting season. They had a planting season where they would plant in winter or in September, October, that they would reap in the fall of the following year. So they're not going to be able to reap the sixth year's planting of winter. And they cannot reap anything in the seventh year that they planted back here, and they have to leave it alone, and they can't plant anything in the fall of the seventh year, and they can't reap anything in the seventh year in the summer, and they can't plant their winter crop to reap in the eighth year. So basically, they got two years out of eight. They can't plant or reap nothing. And that makes them nervous wrecks. How do you expect us to live, God? He said, I will fill up your storehouses. I'll fill up everything. You'll have more than you can eat. They said, well, we'll go to our other gods and see what they require of us, which is nothing. In fact, in Hosea, if you don't look at it real quick, hold your place there. I'm just getting started in this. In Hosea, this is what they would they would credit. You need to learn this when you're reading any of the prophets. They're going to credit their gods. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Hosea, the second chapter. They're going to give their gods credit for... Let's look down here in verse 5 of chapter 2. Their mother hath played the harlot... She that conceived them hath done shamely, for she said, speaking of Israel, I will go after my lovers. That's the harlotry 
when they went after Baal and Grove and Shemosh and Molech, I'll go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water. They're giving Baal, Grove, Shemosh credit for their food. God says, I don't like that. And my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink, it come from Baal and Grove. No, it didn't. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. This is God saying, you think your, your gods gave you that? And make a wall that she shall not find her paths, and she shall follow after her lovers in her, in her fornication. God told Israel in the third chapter of Jeremiah, You've gone after your lovers. I gave northern Israel a bill of divorce. He said, I'm going to divorce southern Judah as well. Because you're going after these lovers, giving them credit for your food. That's because they forsook their sabbatical years. But she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall Israel say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn. I'm the one that gave her wheat. And she's giving these gods credit. The Christmas gods is what they are. If you learn what the Bible is about, it's not even hard to understand. Every time she's giving her God credit, that wouldn't make any sense if you didn't know anything about the promise to Abraham, would it? It wouldn't make any sense if you just picked the Bible up and read this part. And for she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Good grief, Israel. You're going to just go, what are you thinking about? Take that for a short comment. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time there. It's my corn, Israel. I'll take it away from you. Corn meant the wheat. It was the wheat buds on the end. It wasn't Indian maize like we think of corn. Take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof. And I will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. Now I will discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. He said, those gods, Bell and the Grove, and all those that we talk about that were brought into the church, renamed the Christ Mass. Same thing. And none shall deliver her out of thine hand. And I will also cause all her mirth, her foolishness, mirth means foolishness, her moussouse, her being foolish, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and on her solemn feast, and I will destroy her vines and her fig trees. This is what God's saying. She gives Baal credit for what I did. God says, you do that. You have, you, have, you have stirred me up to anger. And her fig trees, wherever she has said, these are rewards that my lovers have given me. Can you see that? That's pretty simple after you know what it's about, isn't it? It's not hard to figure out. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them, and I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, 
wherein she burned incense unto them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers forget me, saith the Lord. Is there any reason he scattered them all over the world? That was his promise to them. And they never kept their sabbatical years. We'll get us some gods that will require it. Jehovah God. Good grief. What are they thinking of? And who brought this into Israel? Who brought these gods into Israel and started the... Huh? Jezebel brought it in from northern Israel. Her father was Ethbaal. And he was a priest of Baal. Ethbaal means with Baal. And that's what they go after because of these sabbatical years. We've got some gods that don't require that. What do you think about that, God? Obedience is the way you conquer life. I found that out after I've gotten old. You don't conquer it, but I don't conquer it the way I thought I should conquer it when I was young. I thought I should be a world-famous singer and a world-famous preacher. How can you be world-famous when you have to be infamous? Bless you even when men shall reproach you, which means to be infamous for the Son of Man's sake. And if you look at Hosea, let me tell you what I did to Hosea. All through the book of Hosea, what I did, I took my Bible, where it says stocks, that's trees, and I circled everywhere it says he's condemning Ephraim. I encircled that with grain. He's condemning Ephraim here in Hosea 5 and 3. That's a green circle around Ephraim. Ephraim is northern Israel, which brought in sun and tree worship in the 16th chapter of 1 Kings, where Ahab marries Jezebel, and his, her father's a priest of Baal in Tyre, which is north of Israel. And she, he marries Jezebel. She brings her gods down in northern Israel and causes Baal in the Grove to be the National Association of Religion in Northern Israel. That's the convention, the Northern Baptist Convention in Israel. They've got their, they've got their bell in the grove up there. And God called it their lovers. And that's the, that's the fornication they were involved in. Not with women or men. They certainly were doing that. But the fornication he's talking about is going after other gods. And when you look all through here, See everywhere I've got grain circled. There in the fifth chapter and the third verse. The fifth chapter and the fifth verse. I've got it all. See all those grain circles? That's God condemning Ephraim, northern Israel. I just circled everywhere and had Ephraim in there. And it's all through. Hosea is prof. You want to know what these prophets are prophesying against? They're either prophesying against... Every one of them are prophesying either against northern Israel, Ahab, from marrying Jezebel, which her father was Ethbel. North of Israel is Lebanon. That's what we call it today. Lebanon comes from Lebanon. That's one of the words from moon in the ancient world. And they were... So God is prophesying. He's using Hosea, Joel... Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. All these Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, they're either prophesying against southern Judah, 
northern Israel is the ones who brought that in. That's why in Micah, the first chapter, the Bible says, what is the transgression of Jacob? When Jacob is mentioned, it means what is the transgression of all 12 tribes? Jacob means all 12 tribes. When he says Joseph, that means northern Israel. That's where Ahab was king of northern Israel. He was king of, of Joseph. Joseph just means northern Israel because his son, his second-born son, Ephraim, Ephraim was ruling all of northern Israel. He received the inheritance. Ephraim received the inheritance in the 48th chapter of Genesis. So if it says Ephraim, all through Hosea, God is using Hosea to prophesy against Ephraim or northern Israel because it was the, one of the kings of Ephraim, Ahab, that brought Baal in the grove in to, to be worshipped in 1 Kings, the 16th chapter. 1 Kings, the 16th chapter, that's where Ahab marries Jezebel and brings the gods in. And that's why they're giving their gods. And Hosea is saying he's preaching against their lovers, which is the fornication he's talking about. It wasn't, God wasn't upset at their men sleeping with other women besides their wives. He was, but the big thing he was upset for, and where they dropped the ball with their personal sins was when they forgot God for other gods for their lovers because they didn't want to give up their sabbatical years. They didn't want to do that. They said, no, we won't do that. So when you're studying the 70 weeks of Daniel, he's talking about what is happening in that 25th chapter of Leviticus. Let's go back over. What caused over. them to stop doing that 50th year? What caused them to stop doing yeah, it? Like, why didn't they continue it? Why didn't Israel continue? Well, they went 490 years. We don't know exactly under what kings, but I'm sure that David kept the sabbatical years. Uh, we're sure that Hezekiah kept the laws of God. And when Josiah learned, he kept the laws of God. We're not really sure that the rest of these kings, most of these kings of Israel, most of them were not on board with God. That's all the kings of Israel right there. That's all of them. Rehoboam was a two-bit king. He was the son of Solomon. Solomon, explain him to me. I don't know. He took, he humbled himself before God in that third chapter of First Kings and said, I'm just a child. I don't not know how to rule this. I so great a people. And then God, give, God says, because you asked, for wisdom, I'm going to give you money and wisdom. And so Solomon starts building the temple in the fourth chapter of First Kings, and he finishes in the ninth chapter of First Kings. And then in the eleventh chapter of First Kings, he brings in Baal in the grove by bringing in his 700 wives and 300 concubines and their gods. Explain Solomon to me. I don't know. I'd like to ask him in heaven, what were you thinking of when you married these 700 wives and they're all sun and tree worshipers? He allowed their asteroid to come in. I can't figure out the will of God. If they hadn't have done this, you and I wouldn't be here. That's the whole point. 
Romans 11, 11, did Israel merely stumble and fall under Solomon, under Rehoboam, under Abijah, under Jehoshaphat, under Jehoram, under Ahaziah? Did they merely fall just to fall? No. Figure this out. They fell so salvation would come to the Gentiles, us. What? You can't figure out the will of God, can you? I'm thankful he did that. I'm thankful Solomon did what he did. Because that brought salvation to you and I. I'm thankful that, that Manasseh and his son Ammon were heathens. And they promoted this bell and grove worship. And then Josiah cleaned it up. I'm thankful for the history of Israel. Without it, we, we as Gentiles wouldn't be here. But let's get back to this chapter, this 25th chapter. If you don't understand the 25th chapter, you're not going to understand why Israel did what they did. We're in that third verse. Six years thou shalt sow thy field. Six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard. And gather in the fruit there. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath for rest unto the Lord, a sabbatical year for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord and thy harvest, you don't reap anything. The grapes, you don't, you don't, you don't reap them. You don't reap the figs. You don't reap the what's growing of itself out there that you planted in the end of the sixth year, you don't reap that. What's it for? Well, when you leave land alone, the nutrients are restored. I've said this before. One Mount St. Helens erupted in Washington State. Everybody said this is the greatest disaster, one of the greatest disasters ever happened to America. But if you go out there now, all of the growth is lush. It's growing. And all that ash did was make everything fertile. And everything grows better out there now with all of that eruption, those volcanic ash coming in. It was covering the sky for miles and miles and miles. But now it's green. God has a way of making things new all over again. You don't reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is the year of rest unto the land. And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you. You can go out, and if you'll practice my ecology, the land will be rich and produce more than you can imagine. If you don't, after so many sabbatical years are over, you're pulling the nutrients out of the ground, burning it up. It's like me and Mary used to have a garden. We'd go out after we planted that garden, I guess 15 years or maybe 10 years, and we never did leave it alone. We didn't put any fertilizer on it. We'd go out and buy jumbo tomato vines. It's supposed to produce tomatoes like this. And after 10 years, we was getting a little bitty tiny tomatoes on a jumbo tomato vine. It's because we burnt the land up. We burnt our garden up. And I didn't have sense enough to stop and think that's what they did. After 490 years, can you, let me put it this way. 
after 490 years, God didn't have to take away their crops. According to the law of God, they were taking their crops away from themselves. It took these sabbatical years to keep his promise of Deuteronomy 28, I'll fill up your basket in your store. You're taking it away from yourself when you don't rest. And that goes back to the spiritual rest. We're taking life away from ourselves. We don't rest in everything that's going on because it is all the will of God. If your life ever gets prosperous, it's going to be when you learn to rest in the things of God because he's doing everything, isn't he? Everything. That's the one thing I'll preach till the day I die. He has works all things after the counts of his own will. So why don't we just rest and trust God for whatever he wants to give us. And it will be plenty. But they were going to do that. Yeah, they were going to do that because God's not going to say to them, all right, we're going to have a class in ecology, okay? And I want everybody to attend the class here on Tuesday nights at 7, and we'll get together and I'll tell you why you have to let the land alone. He's not going to tell them that. He says, I'm telling you to leave the land alone. That's my command. Do it. He's not going to try to get people's approval. Now, what else does this sabbatical year do? Let's look at it here. And the land, he says in verse 6, the Sabbath of the land shall be made for you. You can go out and you can pluck the grapes. You can take from the fig trees. You can take what grows of itself. And for your servants, your servants need some way to feed themselves. And for thy maid, she needs a way to live. And for thy hired servant, for your slaves. And for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee, if you have somebody coming through the land, that land out there in the sabbatical year, that everything that grows of itself will be for them. And the land is going to be so rich that if you keep rotating your crops, everything will be fine. And you're going to find that out if you believe me. But they didn't believe God. And for thy cattle and for the beasts that are in thy land, shall all the increase thereof be for me. There's going to be plenty in that seventh year for everybody to eat. Thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, and seven times seven years, and the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. And thou shalt cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, that's the day of atonement, and shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all the land, and ye shall hallow the fiftieth year. Now, this is very important. God says, I've got to control the way you treat the land, and I've got to control you by controlling your greed. And ye shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty, through all the land, to all the inhabitants thereof, and it shall be a jubilee unto you, and in the 50th year, this is what these sabbatical years will do for you. In the 50th year, you shall return every man to his possession. 
Everybody that has owned land every 50th year, you shall return every man unto his family. They had something they called bondmaids and bond servants. Bond servants. What you would do would indenture yourself. If you ended up owing a lot of money to some lord, you would go to that lord and say, I want to become your servant. And I want you to let me work out in your household and you become a slave to that man. But in the 50th year, every man that was a super hustler, and I don't mean crooked, I just mean knows how to put things together. I was real good in that in real estate. I knew how to buy houses and buy from people. I didn't do a lot of that because I was very sick when I was in real estate. And I always had these ideas about how I could buy this house and that house, this piece of land. And I'd put it off because of my health was really bad. And they, they had guys in the land. If some guy in Judah, some Jew, had land in Benjamin, he'd bought some in Ephraim and bought some land in Manasseh in a 50-year time period, Every bit of that land had to go back to the original owners in the 50th year. Everybody had to go back to square one. No one passed go. No one collected $200. Everybody went back to square one and started from scratch. So anybody who was a super go-getter, he knew he was going to lose all of his investments and all the land he bought, and it had to go back to originally to the land of Manasseh, if you lived in Manasseh, if you lived in Judah and you invested in Manasseh, sorry, goes back to the people in Manasseh, original owners. That way God controlled greed in Israel. So, he says, and you release all your bond slaves. Yeah, but I've got this. If, if some landowner, you're in the 48th year, and he knows that in the 50th year he's going to lose all of his investment. He's, it's real easy for him with his greed to just walk away and say, I'm not going to serve God. I don't like these sabbatical years. And these 50 years is the 50th year, which was the year of Jubilee. It was the year of turning everything back and starting all over. And this guy in his 48th year, he may be 60 years old. And he knows that he's got to start from scratch at 60. But God says, all you have to do is worship me and I'll supply. In the New Testament, there is a very image of the sabbatical year. Look over here in Luke, the fourth chapter. There's a spiritual year of Jubilee. You know, if that was still in practice, America wouldn't be owned by nobody. It would, that's right. We'd have to give it all back to the American Indian, wouldn't we? Yeah, it was going on in America. The greed in America is what's killing it. There's a documentary called 1%. It's it's that about 60% of all the monies in America is owned by 1% of the people in America. 
Bill Gates and his group own about 60% of American properties. Most of it's owned by this 1%. And when you go over here, this is a way to control greed. But this don't work when you live in America because these people are going to run over you. In Luke, the fourth chapter, Jesus is preaching his message. Look in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Nazareth is in the land of Zebulon. I preached on that. Nazareth here in Zebulon. When Jesus began his ministry, he moved his headquarters up here north of Israel, right on the Sea of Galilee. There's a city called Capernaum. Capernaum. And that's where he operated from. That's where he met right here, Canaret, Capernaum, right on the northern sea of Galilee. Galilee is in northern Israel. And then the sea, then the Jordan River runs out of Galilee down to the Dead Sea down here. Jesus, that's where he met Peter and Andrew and James and John. They were fishermen on this sea up here. And of course, that was northern Israel, and the Pharisees was in southern Judah, and they hated northern Israel. We don't need to go into all that right now. So, he is preaching in northern Israel. And he, came, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the, Naz, on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet of Isaiah, where he had opened the book. And he found the place where it is written. This is in the... 61st chapter of Isaiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, I'm showing you the spiritual year of Jubilee. To the poor, P-T-O-C-H-O-S. The emptied out, those that are like beggars saying, Lord, whatever you would have me to have. To the poor... And he hath anointed me to heal, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. David said, A broken and a contrite heart thou wilt not despise. You have to have a broken heart to be a believer. Your heart is broken over yourself and your own sin. And to preach deliverance to the captives. The word deliverance is the word aphesis. A P H E S I S. Ephesus is the same word as forgiveness. This, I've talked to a country music star of sorts. A, he's not really a country music star. He's kind of a country music personality on the country shows. He said, we had a deliverance minister and we delivered this man. He was referring to this verse. And I stood over him for 12 hours and we delivered him from Satan. No, you didn't. This word deliverance is forgiveness. You have to repent. And this is the same word as forgiveness. 
to the captives, and the captives he's talking about is to the spirits in prison, and that was the Gentiles. Prison, phulake, P-H-U-L-A-K-E, means the division of day and night or light and darkness. And forgiveness means to pardon and release from prison. Aphesis means to pardon and release from light, from darkness to light. The spirits in prison for 4,000 years, the Gentiles were in prison and forbidden to receive the truth in the Old Testament. Now, and to the recovering of sight to the blind, he's talking about literal blind, he's talking about those that were blind in the Old Testament, and they couldn't see the truth, they were forbidden. And to set at liberty them that are bruised, throw, T-H-R-A-U, crushed, you had to be crushed by God, T-H-R-A-U. The crushed are us, those of us that have been crushed by God and re- our sins revealed to us. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. There's a spiritual year, which is the acceptable year, is the year of Jubilee, as we found it over there in the 25th chapter of Leviticus. That's the year of Jubilee. When you return every man to his possession, he's returned back to God. I'm going to preach on that Wednesday night. And all, everything goes back to the original owner. That's, I was going to preach on this later, but I'll mention it right now. The form of government that God has in the scripture is fellowship. This is God's form of government. It is the word K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A. Kononia is the word fellowship. Or to have everything common. Have everything common. The word fellowship, when it's translated over to Latin, is the word C O M M. U-N-I-S. Get the word communism, which some people would call socialism. People say, Jim Brown's preaching communism socialism. The only time to have things common will work is when it's dispensed by someone that's righteous like Jesus. It's not when it's dispensed by Khrushchev or by uh, Gorbachev or by Putin or one of these communists, it only works in a religious light and picture. It doesn't work in this world. Capitalism has the same meaning as demon or demonion. It means to distribute the wealth to the individual. That is exactly what happened when they would buy this land. They were greedy. They didn't want to give it back to the original owner. That's what happens under democracy. Democracy means a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And when you rule yourself, you don't go by the laws of God and share with others. I believe what should be in our hearts is to share. Those of us that have get up and go, I have a lot of get up and go when I was young. I could go into some business and, and I've learned what, how you make a living. You work, 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 and you never quit working. That's how you do it. 
You never stop and rest and wait. I didn't wait for people to call me in real estate. I called them. Now I'd say, you want to buy You want to buy a house? You want to sell your house? If I said that to them in October, they said, we're thinking about in the spring. I put my date. We'll call in March. Call end of March. I'd call them in March. I said, no, this is not the spring, but I want to be here. I'll be here when you need me. That's the way getting jobs works. That's the way making money works. You never stop working. But by the same token, if I'm able, if I have a lot of self-start, which I do have, that's the way this ministry started, I just would go and I'd work and work and work and not quit. And that's the way things happen. A lot of people have blamed me for investments I made in real estate for buying a house and moving Mary away from Hendersonville. Sure, she's going crazy at the other house because uh, because all these FedEx and these mail was coming to our house and people coming in and out. And her blood, blood pressure was going through the roof and they got mad at me for moving outside of town and selling a rental house I had bought when I was in real estate and putting that together with, with money that I had, with my Social Security I'd put back for 16 years and buying the house I'm in. Well, that's your problem. I did it for Mary because her, her blood pressure was going out the roof. But by the same token, I'm willing to share whatever I have with others. I'm always looking out for people. I need two cars right now for needy people. You got them? I'll take them and give them away. We've given away about 15 cars in the last 12 or 13 years. About 15 cars. I've had some of them donated. Some of them I've spent thousand twelve hundred fifteen hundred dollars on just to give somebody a car so they could get back and forth to work because i've got that self-start and that know-how to put things together i'll go ahead and tell you about this house i sold down in madison i i was in real estate and i knew these people wanted this house in hendersonville so i figured out what that house would bring me on the sale, I figured out what this house would bring me that they wanted, so I told them. I said, you don't have enough money. I'll buy your house, and I'll give you the amount of money to get in this other house. I'll loan it to you out of my, out of my commissions, and I'll hold the mortgage on it, a second mortgage on it, for two years, and you can pay me back in two years, and you won't cost you nothing to get in this other house. They said, okay. My mind would think this way. They did this, and I moved immediately into the other house. <laughs> then when I bought the house, it was a little bitty tiny house, about 750 square feet. And come up in the 90s, and Fred needed a place to live. Fred is a, a master carpenter. He is an artist when it comes to carpentry. The guy is unbelievable. So I told Fred, you can move into this house, and you can live there for free. I'll buy the materials, and your free rent, you can work that out by adding this addition to the house. So he did that. He added to this 750-square-foot house till I had 1,750 square feet, put a, put a master bedroom on it that looked like something out here in Brentwood, 14 by, by 27 master bedroom suite with a big full bath, had these arch ceilings in it, all these push-button lights and two-car garage, 
That's what I sold to buy this house that I'm in, along with my Social Security that I'd saved for 16 years, if you complained about that. But by the same token, I give to people that are in need all the time. My personal money, take it out of my pocket. I knew how to create. Because I have created sales and created, I was just real good at math, real good at figuring out how to get things done. People blame me for buying that house. And my wife. How many people have lived with us over the years? How many people have lived with us? In our house. Yeah. And you let us live in your house for rent free. You let us live in your other house rent free. I let you live there for three years for rent free. I don't. I don't go out to strangle people. I know how to put things together business-wise. I just know how to do it. At one time, I had, I was holding second mortgages. I'd rather sell a house and make a mortgage, make a commission two years from now than not make one at all. And I did that all the time. My broker came to me and said, you need to go out and start having seminars on how to create financing. That was real easy. I just say, well, you just, I'll just take a second mortgage on a house and loan you the money of my commission out of the house I'm selling out of the one you want to get into. And I'd give them a real low interest rate. The interest rates at that time were 17, 18 on second mortgages, and I'd loan it to them at 11 or 12 interest rate. And I'd charge them anything per month until it came due two years from now. And that way it guaranteed me a sale of two houses. And I'm just showing you what I've done. And people have gotten mad at me for buying a house here to get my wife out of her crazy state over here where she was living. We'd go over there and UPS trucks are coming and going. FedEx is coming and going. And I knew how to create things. And they get mad at me for knowing how to create business. Well, that's your problem. That's jealousy is what it is. And I was going to get my wife out of that house and get away from all that business because her blood pressure's through the roof. Still is. And it was going to kill her. Blood pressure will kill you. She's got the worst blood pressure of anybody I've ever been around. Now, you want to get mad at me, that's your problem. And I've had people that were faithful to this ministry that got mad at me for buying a house out to get my wife away from Hendersonville. Well, that's it's your really problem. It's busybody because it's none of their business. It's really not any of your business. I don't meddle in their affairs. Yeah. I, don't I don't care what they buy. But I know how to create things in business. I just know how. I'm sorry, but I know how to do it. I'll loan anybody money to, as a second mortgage on their house to make a sale. I'd do that to anybody. At one time, I was carrying about six or eight second mortgages on houses. And I knew that money would come in two years down the road. And you see, the thing is, if they, if they fail on their house, then I can foreclose on the house and resell it. But I never had to foreclose on any houses because I loaned the money to responsible people. I didn't have to explain this, why I bought the house I was in. People have been jealous, give me a hard time over it. That's the problem you have with God. And you got a problem with my ability to create. But in all of that, I haven't been greedy. I've shared what I have. I drive 
A 19-year-old car. What do you drive? I have been so frugal in my life. I've been the most frugal man you know. I've always looked for deals. I wanted to make things that was profitable to people. I wasn't greedy of gain like those people that didn't want to participate in the sabbatical years. I want to help people. I want to pick people up. And that's what we do. If you have a problem with what we do, come to us. Yeah, if you have a problem with what we do, you come to us. And talk to me about it. But I was really good in real estate. And I told my broker, he said, you should give seminars on how to sell real estate. I said, you know what I would do? It's real simple. I'd take me a bag of cotton balls. I'd put a little bit of glue on each one of them, and I'd reach down in there and stand in front of a wall and throw them at the wall as fast as I can. And I said, this is how you sell real estate or do anything. You throw those cotton balls, and some of them are going to stick. That's the way it works. If you do enough, something's going to stick. I learned that in real estate, and I learned it in the music business. Throw them at the wall as fast as you can. Something will take. Now, that was just a personal testimony about how I don't believe in greed. You remember one time we woke up and went downstairs, and there was a man down there sleeping? Where? Downstairs. Downstairs where? I don't remember. His name was Ron. Name was what? Ron. Ron. I don't remember. I can't remember. Uh, people have lived in my house. church and they don't go home. We've given our houses, we've given our property to people to live in for free. Uh, I don't know what people want from me. They like to gossip. Your problem with what you're talking, we need to shut our mouths till we find out the facts. Don't just come up and say things. I've always, I worked hard starting this ministry. I started and said, Lord, I will preach your word. I don't care if we have anybody. And one night, all we had was Karen, and I unloaded the whole bell of hay on her. <laughs> and that was when we started over there on Irvin. All right. Now, I'm not greedy. I share anything I've got with anybody. If you need my shoes, you can have them. If you don't have shoes, now don't come up and say, I want your guard, Jim. Well, do you have one? We are... No, I don't have one. Well, will you work to get one? No, I don't want to work. Well, then I'm not going to give to you. We give to a lot of people here. I share what I have with anybody. You want, you come into my house, whatever's in the refrigerator, you can go in there and eat. That's the way I feel. You hungry? I'll feed you. If you have a, don't have a way to get around, get back and forth to church, I'll help you find a car cheap. And I'll use this pulpit to do it with. I need two cars right now, but i got to have them cheap because we're going to give them away to people that need them to get back and forth to their jobs. One of them is right here in Hendersonville. One of them comes to this church, and he needs a car. And I'm going to look till I find one. And I'll ask for car. I won't ask for any money for this church, 
Well, I'll ask for a car for free. I'll ask, say, I don't want it for me. I got a poor person that needs it. You want to contribute. Now, I'm very bold about what I do for the Lord. Now, let's get back to the message. Now that you understand, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'm not going to make excuse for what I do for the Lord. I'm not going to make excuse for my talent in business. That's your problem if you don't understand that. Now, so this is the sabbatical year. This is what it's all about. Now, what you have to do is understand that Israel never kept these sabbatical years. How much time do I have? Huh? 17. I can't hear. 17. 17. All right. Israel never kept these sabbatical years. I need to... Where do I go? I, well, I don't know. Why am I asking you? All right. Now, let's go over to... I've got to help you understand. Let's go to Daniel 9. Daniel 9. Israel, all the time, they were a nation under, under judges. We don't know exactly how many years they're under judges. Could be 350 years. We know they were about 510 years under kings. Let's just take that as a, an average, 510 plus 350 for judges. So, they've got 860 years they are being ruled by judges or kings. That's, that's approximately. And then what we will do is we'll subtract 490 years. That's 70 sets of these sabbatical years they did not keep from so 9 16 7 4 from 7 is 3 they only had about 370 years under certain kings and certain judges they kept these sabbatical years we know that they had very few righteous kings God considered David a righteous king even though he committed adultery and murder he confessed said I alone have sinned we know that we know that Hezekiah, no one had walked in faith after God's commandments like Hezekiah. The Bible says so. And no one had walked in the, in the commandments of God like Josiah, his great-grandson. So Josiah, Hezekiah, and David were the only total righteous kings. You have some kings that were semi-righteous. You had Asa. He was righteous when he was young until he got to be old. When he old, he got ornery and kind of hard to get along with. You see him in that 14th chapter of First Chronicles, how that he's fighting against, Asa's fighting against the Syrian kings, and he says, Lord, let not man prevail against you. Well, he was kind of semi-righteous. He got honor in his old age. Jehoshaphat was what I call semi-righteous. He had the word of God read through all of Israel. He was a, really a good man, but had one problem. He ran around with the wrong people. He ran around with 
Ahab, king of northern Israel. He would support him in his battles. God brought judgment on Israel because of that. And Jehoram, he also supported Ahab after Joseph had died. So Ahaziah was a two-bit king. He wasn't a good king. Athaliah was the, was the wife of Jehoram. She was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. She tried to kill all the inheritance of the throne, and she got them all except Joash. And that resumed the lineage of God. Uzziah was, uh, he did a lot for Israel's construction. He constructed uh, a lot of networks for uh, sewerage and for uh, aqueducts to pipe water throughout Israel. But he wasn't a particularly righteous king. He assumed he could walk into the Holy of Holies and he went in there and got struck in with leprosy. And Uzziah seemed to be a pretty good guy temporarily. And then these other guys, Jotham was so-so king, kind of doing evil things. Ahaz was an, somewhat an evil king. Manasseh was as evil as you could get. That was the son of Hezekiah. And then you had Ammon. He was a wicked king also, the son of Manasseh. And that was the grandson of Hezekiah, a righteous king. And then Josiah was the son of Ammon. And he wasn't good at first. And then as he got as he got older, he found the book of the law was brought to him. And it broke his heart. And he started a revival on Israel like they had never seen. Then you had Jehoahaz, his son, Jehoiakim, another son of Josiah. And then you had Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim. He was a, a great-grandson of Josiah. And then you had Zedekiah, another son of Josiah. So most of the kings of Israel and Judah were not righteous. Most of them did not keep the 77s. The 490 years, Israel was living in wickedness because they wouldn't keep these laws. Well, the Bible says out of those 70 sets of sevens, 70 times seven, that is sabbatical every seven years. Every seven years. They had 70 sets of those sabbatical years, which you multiply times seven years. 70 times seven is 490 years. They never kept these sabbatical years. So the whole idea of the sabbatical years, God says, I'm going to teach you to obey me. I'm going to put you under a whip, and my whip will be sword, famine, pestilence. All the time you're a nation. If you're not obeying me, I'll scatter you with the beast. And the beast is Babylon after 510 years under kings. We don't know exactly when these years were, but God says there were 490 years. They never kept Sabbath for the sabbatical years. Never. So he says, I'm going to scatter you all over the earth. I'm going to do that until I cause you to repent. I'm going to bring you back at the end of time. And at the end of time, I'm going to bring Israel back into obedience to me. But by that time, 
when I bring you back in obedience, he's saying Israel will be spiritual then, and that will be the church. And you have to know something about all of this before you can read the 70 weeks of Daniel in Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And you have to know where Daniel is when he gives these 70 weeks. Now, at the end, let me erase a lot of this. At the end of Israel as a nation, northern Israel was carried into captivity by the Assyrians. And you're not going to know what that's about unless you know God's promises to Abraham to be their God. You'll have plenty of crops. You'll have... You'll be able to beat your enemy. Gosh, there's so much to this. Do y'all know that? You'll be able to whip your enemy. And I'll give you plenty of food. And they're saying, we're going to find us some other gods that don't make us keep these sabbatical years. The sabbatical years is the key to all of this. It's the key to the 70 weeks. Because the sabbatical years... That's the main reason they went after these other gods and said, hey, these other gods gave us our grain, wine, our oil. They did it. God says, I'll, do, I'll get you for that. I promise you I'll get you for that. So after all these wicked, evil kings that ruled in Israel, you can't find many of these guys that's got good sense. I can't stand Zedekiah. That is a sissy he was a pansy. Jeremiah's walking through the streets of Jerusalem saying, Repent, Nebuchadnezzar's coming, he's going to carry you away. And the people go to Zedekiah and they say, Can we kill this man, Jeremiah? And Zedekiah just saying, Well, you can hang him in the mire. The mire is believed by some of the scholars which human waste. Michael Pinion painted that picture of Jeremiah hanging in the mire back there. Michael Pinion just passed away. He was a 41-year-old that had that had uh, he had to have kidney dialysis three times a week, and he just died. And he painted that painting for me. He said, "I want to." Paint a painting of Jeremiah hanging in the mire. Zedekiah told the princes of Israel, they'd say he is disheartening all of Israel. He says, Nebuchadnezzar is coming from over here in Babylon, going to carry us away into captivity. Well, the reason was they never kept their sabbatical years. They had two reasons that Nebuchadnezzar was going to carry them away. First of all, they never kept sabbatical years. And Nebuchadnezzar over here in Babylon, they were the conquerors of the world, and everybody was under Babylon's hand of rule. And all Israel had to do was pay tribute to Babylon, and Babylon would be their protector. And Israel didn't even want to do that. So Nebuchadnezzar, we'll call him Neb, He's got every reason to come over here and carry Israel into captivity. 
He's got every reason, and God's got every reason because they never kept Sabbath sabbatical years. And they gave their gods, their lovers, credit for their food that God says, I'll give you if you obey me. They quit obeying him. They quit doing the sabbatical years. Why any reason you can think of that God wouldn't carry Israel away? Israel was just, Israel was crazy. Israel was sick in their heads. They were insane just like America's insane. They couldn't think rational. God says, do this and I'll take care of you. They said, we're going to do what we want to do. You're crazy. America's crazy. When you're insane, you can't think rationally. America can't think rationally about the Bible. They don't know what it means. They say it means stuff it doesn't mean. You know, they have no conscience. They don't have consciences. What they don't have, their conscience is seared. I'm talking about that on Sunday morning. So God carries Israel away. Now, some of the prophets, Jeremiah was left over here in Israel. And that's because he wanted to stay in Israel. When Nebuchadnezzar, he had a commander ahead a of his army, a commander-in-chief. Well, he was the commander-in-chief, but he had a commanding general. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar told Nebuchadnezzar, you look after this man Jeremiah over here. We hear that he tried to warn these people, that he tried to warn them because they were rebelling against me and they wanted to go over to Egypt and find solace and, and protection from the Egyptian Pharaoh and he's too small to do anything against me. The Babylonian system is too powerful. You can't stand against it. And Jeremiah warned the people, do not try to run to Egypt. If you do, God will have one of these Babylonian soldiers come over here and take their sword and cut you down while you're in Egypt. They might even know what they're doing. Don't run from me. How many of you have told your kids that? Don't you run from me. Yeah. <laughs> that's what God was saying. Don't run from me. I'll whip you. I'll bring my switch and come over there to Egypt. It'll be a Babylonian soldier and he'll kill you where you stand. Well, Jeremiah, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jeremiah said, Nebuchadnezzar told me to look after you. You can come to Babylon. You can own land. You've been an honorable man to Israel. You tried to tell them the truth and they wouldn't listen to you about us and about their God. Jeremiah said, no, thank you very much. I'll just stay in the land here with the poor. But there were three deportations. The one Jeremiah was told he could come over was the last one in 586 B.C. There was one in 597. That was a peaceful deportation. This last one was a slaughter. The peaceful deportation in 597, that's the one where Daniel, it's believed that Daniel and, and Ezekiel were carried away in. 
at the first one was where was where Nebuchadnezzar issued orders to go over here and peacefully take away in 605 any soldiers, anybody who could cause a rebellion against the king of Babylon. And then in 597, we see that over there in the 24th chapter of First Kings, or Second Kings, 24th chapter, and that's where one of the, kids, the sons of Jehoiakim was carried away over to Babylon. And in 597, that's when Daniel was in Babylon. So when Daniel's in Babylon, and he's praying to God in this ninth chapter of Daniel, the ninth chapter, he's asking God, how long are we going to be in captivity? How long are we going to be carried away? And that's when the archangel Gabriel comes and tells Daniel, 70 weeks or 70 times 7. And remember, Peter said, Lord, how many times shall we forgive a man? Seven times. And Jesus said, 70 times 7. That's the number of divine perfection. Remember, 7 is a word in the Greek, Sheba. It comes from the word Shabua, S-H-A-B-U-A-H. It is a derivative of the word seven. And Shabuah means to take an oath to God, but you can't take an oath to God until you have been sevened. Then to seven oneself. That's what oath means. You have to be sevened before you can take an oath to God. Israel has to be sevened. What they have to be. Daniel's crying out, and Gabriel comes to him about the time of the evening sacrifice and says, 70 times 7 or 70 weeks has been determined upon your people because of what you did over here. You rebelled against God. You rebelled against Babylon. You tried to run away from God and say, we'll find solace and peace in Egypt. And Jeremiah says, don't you dare run to Egypt. He said, you go to Babylon, build houses, plant crops, you're going to be there 70 years. And God says, I'll put you there for 70 years until the land has enjoyed its Sabbaths that you never kept for 490 years. And if you don't come back after 70 years in Babylon, then he's going to measure these 70 years out. He's going to measure them out. And at the end of those 70 times 7 or 40, 490 years, and that will come at the end of time. End of time. And they'll be measured out a certain way from the going forth of command to restore, restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince until Jesus will be 69 of those years will be, will be complete, will be finished. And the 70th year at the end of time will be divided into two parts. I'll come to that in the next week. I'm out of time. I hope if I say this enough, you'll understand why the judgment of God, the fact that, well, you can't have Israel without having the church. A Jew is not out. I got a paper here. Mary wanted me one time to make a 
to shore in the Bible where the spiritual Jew was. And I'll make some of these up before next week. And these are some verses in the New Testament about spiritual Israel, which is the church. And we'll go into some of these next week, and I'll pass them out to everybody. The 70 weeks of Daniel has to do with the entire history of Israel. And at the end of the 70 weeks, you're going to come to the end of time. And we're, I don't believe we're far away from that. And you have to understand that the church is spiritual Israel. And when the six points of Daniel 9.24 come about, the church or spiritual Israel will be perfected. And perfect means to be mature. And it'll then Israel will repent of all of her old ways in the Old Testament. You know, everybody I know of knows that Israel was in bondage 400 years. But most preachers never mention that they were in captivity for 2,600 years until they came back and became a nation May 14, 1948. And I understand Israel is spiritual. I believe there's a remnant in Israel due to the four big super wars they've had and how they've magnificently overcome their enemies in those big wars. The War of Independence, 1948, May 14th, the 57 War, the Sinai War of 1957, the Six-Day War of 67, June 5th through June 10th, and 1973, the War of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to see the purpose of these 70 weeks so we can understand the end of time and how it looks to me like it's near. I hope it is. I'm tired of this world, Lord. Have a desire to be with you, which is better than this. Thank you for truth. We'll praise you for everything that you do. Lord, I pray for the church. Strengthen those that are weak. I know a lot of people don't, they're immature. They haven't been sevened. And they don't know what to do and they're very uncomfortable and they can't settle down and rest in your word. We'll give you praise for all things. Supply our need and fight our battles. In Christ's name we pray, amen. y'all are getting a hold of this it's a uh, one big huge picture about the bible from one end to the other it's just it's something we could study on all of our life and not get it all
Well, it's not hard. You just read and use it in the first chapter to tell you who they're talking to. Each one of them is talking to... They're either talking to these kings or they're talking to the nations around them that polluted them with their gods or they're talking to the empires that ruled them. All of them are talking to one of these. And it'll tell you. Hosea speaks of Judah, but not as much as he talks about Ephraim, northern Israel. Because northern Israel started it all. That was Ahab bringing it down into Israel when he married Jezebel. But they were supposed to do it. You know? Huh? It, it's a good thing they did. Because that's for our salvation. I don't understand God. Do you? If you do, explain him to me. You want some gum? You want gum? Hey, sweetie pie, come here. What are you hiding from? Come here, let me give you something. Come here. Come here, I'll give you some. You want some gum? Look here. Look what I got. I love you. You love me. Huh? You love me? Here you go. Give me a hug. Come here and give me a hug. Here you go. Come here. Give me a hug. I love you. I wish I wish a piece of gum would make me as happy as it makes her. Jim, I got a new name for the churches. Fake churches. Huh? I got a new name for the fake churches. What's that? Fake news. <laughs> fake news, okay. <laughs> fake news. Not good news, but fake news. Fake news. I love you. Excellent, excellent. Every day, 20 years this has been going on. I learned something. Well, <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, a, it's really a picture like Snow White. Or like the seven dwarfs. It's a picture. It's just a picture that you paint from one end to the other. It's not as difficult as you think it is. No, but I learned something more tonight.